You are entering the Freedom Hut. Reports are coming in that the special counsel is wrapping up as soon as next week, as was expected here on the Buck Sexton Show. We'll talk about what that means for the Democrats. How are they going to spend their time now that that fantasy collapses around them? And also, speaking of fantasies, the Jussie Smollett hoax is crumbling around him. He is now officially a suspect. We've got updates on that and much more coming up. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I think I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Andrew McCabe is not a a psychiatrist. He's not an internal physician. Either is Rod Rosenstein. They knew the Constitution, constitutional limits of the 25th Amendment. It's an incapacitated president, like a Woodrow Wilson, maybe right. the last week of FDR. It's not a president you happen to disagree with. So what they're basically discussing is how to overthrow or uh, abort a presidency that was duly elected. Well, I think Andrew McCabe has made a fool out of himself over the last couple of days, and he really looks to me like sort of a poor man's J. Edgar Hoover. He's a, uh, I think he's a disaster. And what he was trying to do was terrible, and he was caught. Anybody reading the IG report would say, how could a man like this be involved with the FBI? Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Big news today. The Mueller probe, according to uh, CNN, is supposed to end sometime next week. Or the report, I should say, that is the conclusion of the probe, that signals that conclusion, will be handed in to the newly installed Attorney General um, next week, Barr, the uh, AG. And so this aligns with what I've been telling you here for a while. I told you that I had heard that the probe was going to end within a matter of a few weeks, and now here we are. So I do believe this report, even though it comes from fake news CNN, that this is going to be wrapping up. Um, It also comes at a time when we have more certainty than ever before. We should have more certainty than ever before that the actions taken at the top of the Department of Justice and the FBI by pro-Hillary, anti-Trump partisans were appalling, absolutely appalling, that disgraced the offices of the men and women who held them, that undermine the very institutions that they at least have told us they sought to protect. There can be no justification for the behavior that we already know about. And I'm here to tell you that there's a lot we still don't know and need to know about just what happened here. You have people who have come forward to offer freely that they were considering what was effectively a coup against the President of the United States. Based on what? What was the thing that the President did that was so terrible that McCabe and and some of the others, Rod Rosenstein offering to wear a wire, what was the thing that was done that was so terrible that a reasonable person, a government employee in good faith, would have even considered this? The answer is there isn't one. They, They have got nothing. Firing James Comey? That is how 
self-aware? I mean, the, the federal bureaucracy is like Skynet now. They're willing to provoke a nuclear war because they think they're more important than we are. That's how self-important they are. They want a coup to happen because their dear leader at the bureau got fired. My friends, we are going to enter a very frustrating period here soon. It will be validation to be sure. You and I will be able to go about our day very soon knowing that even with the bare-knuckle tactics of the Mueller probe, full of pro-Hillary partisans looking to settle scores, people who are obviously anti-Trump in every way, they weren't able to make the case against Trump. There was no collusion. You've known it all along. I've known it all along. And now there will at least be further validation of that. That an oppositional force with almost unlimited resources and whatever reach within the law it decides to have, the special counsel was unable to do it. And you are going to see as soon as this is announced, and it should be next week, you will see the most dishonest intellectual gymnastics, the most brazen garbage peddled on TV you've ever seen in your whole life. It's going to be a dumpster fire of lies and misdirection and nothing to see here. Let's just move on, folks. They're not even going to pause and say, you know, maybe the endless loop of stories about Russia collusion and all the fake news stories we ran that we had to then retract or correct. And maybe we've just been part of a of a hysteria of creating a mass delusion that has been really damaging to the functions of government. Maybe we've been wrong all this time the Mueller special counsel which you know people celebrities media figures on the left and the so-called objective journalists they've been acting like Mueller was some kind of saint who was going to deliver this country from the pits of hell that Donald Trump had brought us to they're not going to change any of that opinion even when Mueller says yeah it turns out there was no collusion turns out that didn't happen we we can't prove it there's nothing there. Collusion from the beginning was a silly idea that was cooked up by a bunch of hysterical pro-Hillary anti-Trump partisans. There was never a there there. And we are going to get, in my opinion, I, we, we haven't seen the report yet. Yes, there's a there is a possibility of that. 11th hour bombshell or something? I don't know. But I kind of know. Once this report is given to the Attorney General, and whether he makes it public or not, there's no way if they had something on the president, they'd be able to keep that quiet. So we're going to know. And even when it's out there, there will not be any adjustment whatsoever in the hysterics, in the nonsense from CNN and MSNBC, the Washington Post, the New York Times, they still are going to claim that what's needed is further investigation of the president. That all we've really found out is how much more investigating there has to be. 
because these people are willing to pollute the law down to its very core as long as they can weaponize the law enforcement bureaucracy and the congressional oversight processes against this president. That's the plan. You're going to see an immediate switch as though nothing has happened, as though there's no necessary evaluation that should take place of how crazy this whole stupid Trump-Russia collusion narrative has been all along and what a disgrace the journalists that have been pushing it have been. They're not going to stop and think about any of that. They're immediately going to transition into, well, what does the Southern District of New York have on him? What can we get on his tax returns? What can we do to investigate his children? Maybe some of his kids drank underage in high school or college or, you know, that's where this is going to go. These people have no shame. They have no principles. They have no ethics. They are pushing a narrative that goes to the very core, not just of what they believe about this country, that there is an elite, that there is an establishment, that the, the Democrat left is the only legitimate power structure that exists here, but that also goes to the core of what they, the peddlers of this false anti-Trump narrative, believe about themselves, which is that they have to have been right all along. They must be right all along. Even if they can't prove there was any Russia collusion, they know it's there. Why? Because they believe it. Because ultimately, Russia collusion for the hysterical left has turned into a replacement religious belief. They will never abandon it. So even though the special counsel is going to be ending soon, my friends, unfortunately, the Democrats' hysteria is just going to find other outlets now and will continue. We've got Jussie Smollett updates. We've got a lot on the Democrat candidates that are out there now. We're going to talk about Bernie Sanders. So much show coming up, team. Stay with me. The collections are down to about 30% of the target. That is about a $2.3 billion drop in revenues. $2.3 billion as a drop at this point in revenues is as serious as a heart attack. SALT encourages high-income New Yorkers to move to other states. And what you have to remember is even if a small number of high-income taxpayers leave, it has a dramatic effect on this tax base. Tax the rich, tax the rich, tax the rich. We did. Now, God forbid the rich leave. Nobody understands like Governor Cuomo that if you tax and tax and tax the rich and tax and tax some more, Eventually, they get tired of paying the taxes and the tax. <laughs> you get the idea. Uh, what a shock. New York, higher taxes. People want to leave. People who can leave. People who it is easy for them to leave. The wealthy are particularly mobile, especially when it comes to establishing state residence in one place or another. The wealthy are the ones that are going to be the first to leave. By the way, the French dealt with this recently when they instituted a specific millionaire's tax, but they haven't learned their lesson really either. They had millionaires in France who were leaving and going to other countries in the EU. Well, there you go, trying to find other places, trying to find tax havens. Taxation is unfortunately 
the primary the 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 primary effort of the Democrats going into 2020. Uh, you're going to hear a lot about this. Yeah, they're going to dress these different things up with, oh, it's about climate change or it's about health care or but really behind all of this, there is going to be increases in taxation. The state wants more of your stuff, whether at the federal level or at the state level, if the Democrats are in charge, that's what's going to happen. And they don't learn the lessons of history. They, I still see people going on TV who are saying, well, under the Eisenhower administration, the tax rate was 90%. They keep saying this. And the truth is that there was nobody in the Eisenhower administration that was paying 90% income taxes. Or during the administration, not any, but there's nobody in that era that they can point to whoever even had to pay that rate. And with the lowering of rates, Thanks to Reagan, you had an explosion in growth in the economy and a booming stock market. And all of a sudden, things were had been for many, many years before that. But not only are the Democrats not students of history, many of them are, in fact, rewriters of history. They go back and they change things around because at some point they've had too many failures with their plans for governance for this to seem like an accident. At some point, it starts to feel like maybe they're doing this on purpose. Uh, maybe, to borrow from Obama here, it's not about what's best for the economy. It's about what's fair in the eyes of people that are obsessed with, with fairness. I saw a very interesting graphic today that I'd never seen before. It was making the rounds on social media, and it was a social justice approach to the difference between equality and equity. And it was three people, I'd never seen this before, this cartoon, three people that were looking at, look like a baseball game, and they're all of different heights. And equality, they say, is the people of different heights looking at the game. Some of them can see it, some of them can't. Equity is putting people on different size platforms so they can all see the game. And what I think is so interesting about this is that that really, really shows you what the Democrat position is here, which is that individuals should not be held responsible for their own decisions. Individuals should not be rewarded or punished by the market or by the state based upon what they choose to do. We should seek for a society where everybody is the same. Not that we are treated the same way by the law, not that we have the same rights, where we are the same. This is not just a fool's errand, it is dangerous. There will always be inequality in every society. There will always be people that make better decisions than others, that are luckier than others. Don't uh, Luck is a huge component of economic success. We have a lot of trust fund brats running around this country. Don't think I'm not aware of it. Some of them are rather powerful. Um, you have a lot of that going on. It's not fair, but it's never going to be fair. And the, the purpose of the state should not be, the purpose of our government should not be trying to create a, a utopia here on earth it should be what is the best form of governance based on the realities of human beings that we have seen play out again and again throughout history how do we work within the constraints of people are imperfect people are self-interested what do we do with that how do we motivate people to do good things and the best things that they can do on an individual basis and not just try to create this equity I mean, again is this radical equity you could call it where everyone is the same. You're going to you're going to see more of this I think emerging because 
the economy doing as well as it as it has been under Trump and the country doing as well as it has, the only place for the Democrats to go is we will give you more stuff if you let us take more stuff from other people. That's going to be a primary message. It's going to be very, very important for Bernie Sanders, for Kamala Harris, for, for Booker, for Warren. Go down the line. It's also why Schultz, talking about possibly running as a third-party candidate, was so horrifically offensive to the Democrat establishment. Because he, he can't be out there saying you can't just give free stuff to everybody. You can't just tax people into oblivion and think that that's not going to have negative consequences. In many cases, for the very people that you think you're trying to help. There's some stories popping up now about, again, based uh, going back to New York. New York has problems. Yes, we know Governor Cuomo. Uh, there are fast food workers. Now that New York City has a $15 minimum wage for fast food workers, there are fast food workers that also want protections from what they say are unfair firings. Well, let me just point out that the desire to fire fast food workers when they are all costing $15 an hour is elevated from what it would have been before because now they are more expensive employees and more expensive employees who don't perform to the expectations of the employer, you're even more incentivized to get rid of them or to cut back on their hours. So now they're looking to the state to intrude into the market and say that unless there's a and they're saying unless there's a good reason, it's going to be unless there's there's not going to be any reason that's acceptable short of like committing a felony on the job. They're going to try to make it so you can't fire fast food, make it really hard and cumbersome and arduous to fire somebody in the fast food industry because they're concerned now that there are going to be layoffs. So they set the minimum wage at fifteen dollars and then they want to combat the layoffs with government policy. They don't understand. This is a balloon. You can keep squeezing it, but the air goes somewhere. All right, we have uh, a whole lot more. I, I got to update you on the the uh, Jussie Smollett situation. It's getting worse for Jussie, as we here in the Freedom Hut knew that it would. This guy is this guy is in trouble. Uh, but the situation for Smollett is getting worse, and we will also uh, get into the latest on the craziness the absolute craziness uh coming from uh, from democrats these days on tv about all about all things trump I mean, they've really just they have jumped the shark several times over uh, we have that and much more coming up i don't know what he was thinking i don't know if he has a mental problem or whatever but it's not looking good for him you know what i'm saying and 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 it's it, it was it took place in chicago 30 below, and crime stops when it's 30 below, okay? Right. And why would some Republicans that are MAGA fans right. be watching Empire? He owes everybody an apology. He owes the black community an apology. He owes the gay community an apology. Because it looks like he's lying. Right. I mean, and, and you know, when it first happened, I was like, yo, we need to go get these dudes, man. You know, because it's like you put a noose over your neck. Because nowadays with all this racial sensitivity, it's like... It's, it's too sensitive. And so we reacted and we were ready to, you know, fight for this guy. And then his story started looking a little shady. You know what I mean? It started looking a little shady. I don't know. I think that the guy's career is done. I think so. I think so. Uh, that was a comedian who was asked about this and, and I think gave some pretty Godfrey, comedian Godfrey, uh, talking about the Smollett situation. Do we say Smollett or Smollett? I'm not sure which it is. Uh, I, I'd never heard the name Jussie before either. Not that I'm one to make fun of names or point out the pe peculiarity of names because 
glass house and all that. But uh, Jussie Smollett is now officially, I can tell you, a suspect. Chicago police spokesman Anthony Guglielmi said that the Empire actor Jussie Smollett is officially a suspect in a criminal investigation for filing a false report, which is a class four felony. Uh, he is in a world of hurt, my friends, because trust me, given all the sensitivity and all of the national attention on this story, uh, it's fair to say that Chicago police would not take this step unless they were darn sure that they had something on this guy. And I, I, I mean, look, it's not like this is a hard thing to figure out either, right? I mean, this is not a difficult, it's not, it's, it's not like we have to sit here and think uh, for a long time to come up with what probably went down here. I think we already know. I think that what we have been told uh, largely is what has happened here, which is that this guy most likely hired these two individuals and engaged in this, uh, engaged in this hoax, another race hoax, uh, r- racial incident hoax of hate crime fakery. That's um, it's very disturbing, and I do think he should be charged. I'm seeing some people in conservative land say, "Well, I feel bad for him, and maybe he has mental health issues." Let me share a different perspective here by John Cass, a Chicago Tribune reporter, and I, I would note that. Local Chicago media has done this one right. They have covered this case. They've shown that, you know, local media, because I think they realize they can't compete with the feeding the the audience, the narrative, whatever they want to hear. You know, they're never going to be able to do that the same way that the national outlets do. So better to be accurate, right? Better to be telling the people in your community what's true uh, and what facts you can you can present them. But. John Cass writes the following in the Chicago Tribune, quote, something important has been lost in the embarrassing saga of Jussie Smollett, the tuna fish sandwich loving actor and anti-Trump activist and those muscular Nigerian brothers. And I suppose it's easy to lose what's important with all the panic and intersectional hatred and liberal identity politics gone bad in this Smollett story. What's been lost is this. I'm told that two dozen detectives were assigned to the Smollett case. Can Chicago afford that with all the unsolved murders and shootings in this town? No. There were some 18 people killed in Chicago after Smollett began telling his story in late January, that story in which he cast himself as the hero about having to fight off pro-Trump racists. Now it turns out that the pro-Trump racist, who he says put a noose around his neck, may actually be his friends, two muscular Nigerian brothers who may or may not have been paid in this deal. Either way, his story is he fought them off, even though he had a cell phone in one hand and a tuna sandwich in the other. Smollett must be a certified badass because his sandwich survived. But two dozen detectives assigned to check out his story that he was a victim of a politically inspired pro-Trump hate crime, a story unraveling by the second, Even in Chicago, a city known for its unending violence and political corruption, assigning two dozen detectives seems a bit overdone. But Chicago has an abysmal homicide clearance rate of about 17 percent. 
Chicago's detective ranks have been decimated by attrition and short-sighted management. There aren't enough detectives. Even so, two dozen detectives for Smollett just doesn't seem right. Make no mistake, he's not blaming the detectives here or the Chicago Police Department. They work for a politician. His name is Rahm Emanuel. When Smollett told his amazing story about being a black guy attacked by racist Trump supporters on one of the coldest nights of the year, the media was all over it. The national politicians were all over it. John, John Cass here, um, and end quote there, John Cass of the Chicago Tribune is making a critical, critical point. And that is that this, this case got more attention because of the politics involved, because of the lib nonsense narrative about horrific Trump supporters and their evil hate crimes that are such a scourge, it's such a national panic, and all the all the triggered libs are all worried about this all the time. More police resources were devoted to this obvious hoax of a story than to actual murders. Actual murders, including the murder recently of a one-year-old boy who was shot in the head. One-year-old boy, a street gang, was trying to shoot his mother, and they shot the one-year-old boy. His name was Dijon Irving. There weren't two dozen detectives assigned to uh, Dijon Irving's case. Anyone want to tell me why this guy, Smollett, should be given a pass here? Why we shouldn't pay attention to the resources to the wasted effort and time when there are real problems. I mean, Chicago has a gun violence epidemic. And now we find out that uh, Smollett is a suspect in this. If they can prove this, and I believe they will be able to, they should punish him to the fullest extent of the law. My expectation here, I don't know yet, my expectation is that Jussie Smollett is going to have to take a plea bargain because otherwise he could face some pretty serious prison time. I also think that he should spend some time in prison. I'd have to look at what the statutory guidelines are, but I don't think this should be a slap on the wrist situation. I don't think that this should be treated like this is okay. Someone tell me how George Papadopoulos deserves to go to prison for two weeks and and this guy Smollett, for for what, by the way, lying about nothing, a non-lie about a non-crime, Jussie Smollett should should not go to prison for this. All the resources, all the time wasted, the cost of the taxpayers and the disrespect shown to the families of dead children in Chicago. Who couldn't expect the same resources devoted to their children's cases because the Democrat politicians who control Chicago didn't see those murders as important as this Smollett hoax. That's what's really happening here. There's got to be a case here. There ought to be a case here. We live in a time where, what is it, a competition to see how quickly you can destroy someone and how quickly you can destroy someone with a falsehood. I mean, this is unbelievable, this, uh, this rush to judgment, this rush to condemnation. These boy, and that will be tagging these boys forever, no matter what happens uh, in this lawsuit. Shameful. It tells you something about where the country is and where a lot of the media is. He's not, I don't think the apologies do it. 
given the state of the social media and given what we have seen, something has to be done. I mean, I think that's what citizens, non-lawyers like myself say. You cannot just have this system where you rush to judgment, destroy somebody, and then pick up the pieces later. It's a big lesson in civics and withholding judgment and the burden of proof. Remember the whole business with Kavanaugh. Can we see where the proof is before we make a judgment? Covington Catholic is suing, uh, Covington Catholic student, rather, Nick Sandman, not the school, is suing the Washington Post for $250 million, which, interestingly enough, is uh, what Jeff Bezos paid for the Washington Post. Same amount. I don't think that's an accident, folks. That's what Bezos paid to buy the Post in 2013. This lawsuit from Covington Catholic is seeking $50 million in compensation for the alleged damage done, and it wants an additional $200 million in punitive damages uh, in, in order to punish the company for what it did. And you have, of course, the spokespeople for Washington Post saying they're going to fight this, uh, yada, yada, all the rest of it. Let me say this. Um, I think... I think that the Covington folks here have a case. I, I spoke to Professor Dershowitz today about this, and he said, look, you know, these are not, there's a different standard. These are not public figures. These are private citizens. And they didn't ask for this. They didn't want this. And there, are, there must be some standard. There must be some required due diligence for media organizations before they can destroy someone's life i'm sorry i think that there has to be a line drawn here if you are not a public figure if you are somebody that is a a private citizen who is drawn into something like this yes of course the media can write about it but they have to do so with some sense of possible liability otherwise they're in a position where they can be utterly reckless do exactly what they did to these Covington kids, drive all kinds of clicks, and just later on say they're going to apologize. See, this is a big disconnect for the media in this country. The mainstream likes to get things wrong, but get things wrong that are always feeding their base what they want. You know, whatever, whether it's on the Jussie Smollett case or any of these stories, they like to, to tell their readership or to show their viewers, yeah, yeah, the narrative that we give you all the time, here's more of that. Here's more racism in America. Here's more uh, white male patriarchy at work. Here's more Donald Trump is a traitor, whatever it may be. And then they think that they should get a pat on the back and, and a thank you so much when they have to correct their insanely false story. This is why they are fake news. They don't seem to either recognize or accept that by getting stories like this so incredibly wrong over and over again, people are going to not trust them. You know, this this is not if you would. Uh, uh, I was about to do an analogy. Now I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go no analogy here. You understand what I'm saying in any other profession if you kept getting the if you kept getting it wrong and then correcting yourself uh, you would suffer consequences journalists seem to think that on big stories that they get wrong there's no problem and this is you know enough enough is enough uh, we need to hold them accountable for what's going on here speaking of, of holding journalists accountable 
Some of you know that I have in the past talked about a certain CNN analyst. I, oh, I know the whole crew over there at CNN. Uh, David Gergen. David Gergen, he's, he's been in politics for 300 years. And he, go, he goes on CNN and kind of just gurgling with Gergen, kind of mutters things, Nixon, Reagan, Ford administration, uh, Cyrus Vance and Ford and when Nixon, China. And it's always the same from this guy. It's just like, I don't know, that was back in 75 and then 84 and in the White House and Nixon and decision making. And You're like, okay, what does that have to do with anything, Gergen? And why are you gurgling? Um he also decided to go following uh, in Jake Tapper's footsteps. Who Jake Tapper made a a, a very thinly veiled uh, gay joke about uh, anti gay remark about um, Roger Stone that maybe he would like prison. He he he, because th- there have been rumors about uh, Roger Stone and his sexuality that have been out there in the media for a long time. Uh, you have David Gergen, the the senior statesman of many a CNN political panel who thought that he would just just throw this little comment in the mix. Play 14. Roger Stone must also worry that if he goes there, he's, you know, he's seen as something of a dandy. Will he be physically safe? Uh, will he will be subject to rape? I mean, there must be a lot of things that are going through his mind. Oh, my God, what, where have I got myself into? What the heck does that mean? He's something of a dandy and must be worried if he's going to be raped. What is, gir- I mean... This is the guy who CNN turns to for, we have a national security crisis. We, we need somebody to really just, just speak to the nation from his gravitas. Just go deep into that gravitas well, gurgling gurgan. It's a well, it's, it's deep. The well is very, remember when I sat and talked to uh, Ted Kennedy about the well. You know, this is what this guy comes up with? This is who the rest of America, if, if we're... If we're going to treat CNN like a real journalistic enterprise, uh, we're going to act like this guy has something to offer that we should listen to. I got to tell you, you know, I increasingly now I I judge people who watch CNN not for comedic effect. I got questions. I got questions like, what do you think is going on here? I thought it was so interesting as an aside that one of the Obama Obama bros from the Obama uh, White House. I forget his name. He's, he's one of the ones that does one of the, he does a, a podcast that a lot of lefties listen to. Uh, he went on some some tirade on Twitter today about how Sarah Flores, uh, or Sarah Isger rather, who is um, uh, an acquaintance of mine, is going to be run. She was working at the Department of Justice, and before that she was a guest of mine on Real News many times. She's worked with Jeff Sessions. She's a conservative. She worked with Ted Cruz, I believe, as well. She's going to be involved in campaign coverage for CNN 2020. And you had this guy, uh, Tommy Vitor, that's his name, who's one of the pod save bros. You had him rip rip some tweet out there where he uh, says, you know, CNN's credibility is, is, is at stake here. Blah, blah, blah. It's all upset about it. I'm like, is he an idiot? Does he really think that CNN is a nonpartisan enterprise does does anybody really believe that anymore i I have to ask this does who holds on to this that's paying attention it's a it's a fair question one that doesn't have any any particularly inspiring answers that's for sure 
Uh, you know, CNN is, is a dumpster fire of partisan hackery. But yeah, sure, let's pretend like it's something else. You may be familiar with AARP. You or someone you know could already be a member. But uh, did you know that the AARP is a left-wing organization when it comes to politics? They stood against tax cuts for middle-class Americans and small business owners recently. That's why I recommend AMAC. AMAC is all about sharing your values and getting value for its members. So yes, you get the discounts on car insurance, hotels, roadside assistance, dental plans, even cell phone service options. But also AMAC tries to push for policy at the national level that you agree with, like a secure border, fixing Social Security, economic sanity in our spending, all that. You need to check out AMAC for yourself. Stand with AMAC as they fight the good fight by becoming a member today. The benefits are great, but the cause is even greater. Tell your family and tell your friends. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. AMAC is better, better for you, better for America. Look, I've had my own run-ins with Andy McCabe, and this is part of the problem. The Andy McCabe FBI was a protect James Comey FBI at all costs. They didn't wear blinders the way justice is supposed to be done. They were blindly loyal to Jim Comey. Under Comey, I was invited to participate to lead an FBI counterterrorism communications training session. When Comey got fired, I said some mildly critical things about Comey and Andy McCabe. I was literally in an FBI car on my way to the event. McCabe told the car to drop me off because I criticized Comey mildly. He was so defensive about James Comey, he actually canceled the training portion of a counterterrorism event, told the car, let him out. That's Andy McCabe for you. And this is a, a whole reflection of the top leadership of the FBI. Protect James Comey at all costs. That's the problem with blind loyalty. It's all coming out now. That little vignette that Ari Fleischer shared of Andy McCabe, does that surprise any of you? Does it surprise you that McCabe would act in such a, a disrespectful and, and just really childish fashion in, in order to, to show his just undying lo loyalty to Comey, who is a lanky clown show, okay? I mean, Comey is a jerk, a jerk who put himself in the center of incredibly politically sensitive uh, situations and did so knowingly and willfully and somehow always came out on the Democrat side of things. All right, Hillary was the candidate of the establishment and the institutions of the bureaucracy. All right, Hillary was the status quo for people who think that they're really important in the government and in the government that's there forever, not the elected government. So they went with her. Their previous partisan affiliations, you know, people say, oh, Republicans like Mueller and Republicans like Comey, that's nothing. Republicans hate Trump as much as any leftist in many cases. The never-Trump Republicans hate Trump like nobody else. And that's what you had with McCabe, a never-Trump Republican. But you have these stories that are starting to come out now, and we're really seeing that these individuals who held incredibly powerful roles in the government were wacko. They're not reasonable. They're not rational. When it comes to Trump, the limits of their power, the importance of their role in the government, they were drunk with power. They were maniacs, really. I mean, that McCabe story, that should, should send a chill down your spine. My friends, this is a guy who is determining 
who the FBI, the eye of Sauron of the federal government would turn on at any given time. And you think that you think that the first time that his own personal animus came to bear was over James Comey? No way. This guy has been playing the partisan actor. He's been doing people dirty, as we say in the law enforcement business, for a long time. I assure you of it. I assure you of it. And you have this uh, also national security lawyer. I forget what her role was. Uh, I think she might have been at the NSC or the one of these one of these national security outfits. Samantha Vinograd from CNN. Uh, she goes on TV. You know, McCabe is obviously a whack uh, is obviously a wackadoo. Vinograd, CNN loves her. CNN's gotten all these just these Hillary prototypes, these Hillary bots. Uh, to go on TV, you know, these people, and I don't mean because they're women, I mean, and, you know, it's the guy, the one who looks like Pajama Boy uh, from the FBI who was Comey's, he was basically Comey's coffee boy. You know, he, he he's on CNN all the time now, and uh, Vinograd, I, I don't really know her, but I've seen her pop up a few times. The Asha Rangappa, who makes a fool of herself publicly, all that says idiotic things, and CNN just claps for her. She teaches at Yale. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, teaches on counterterrorism or something. There, I mean, it's all it's all nonsense. These people don't actually have any real knowledge, or, and you know, there's knowledge and there's judgment too, right? Judgment is part of the application of knowledge. You can know some stuff, but always make poor decisions and not be very useful as a teacher. Not be very useful as a as an analyst. Uh, but here's CNN's Sam Vinograd. Again, on this, these people are nuts. They're wackos. Play seven. Is that investigation still ongoing? McCabe has said that the president's moves to undercut Russia-related investigations to believe Vladimir Putin over his intelligence community to make personnel decisions uh, based upon Russia-related matters all led to this investigation. McCabe would have laid that out before the Gang of Eight. But just in the past few days, the counterintelligence red flags are flying a lot higher than they did, arguably, when this investigation was first launched. So it is entirely possible, Kate, that the Gang of Eight has been briefed on an ongoing investigation because that hasn't concluded, and that other members of the U.S. government were briefed before, like the director of the CIA, uh, Mike Pompeo, who's now Secretary of State, and that this investigation is continuing, and there is still a chance that Vladimir Putin is controlling the White House. Still a chance. This is this woman's on TV, held up as an expert. Still a chance that Vladimir Putin is controlling the White House. I mean, is she a moron? I don't mean I'm not trying to be mean. I actually is she just really not bright? I mean, there's still a chance that she's a space alien and we just haven't run the DNA testing to know that she's made to look and sound and talk like a human, but she's really a space alien. There's a chance can you prove it? I can't prove it. This is how silly these people have become. This is how ridiculous they are. And it's not it's not just the 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 people that are the analysts that are going on trying to magnify what the praetorian anti-trumpsters were doing and saying. It's in their own words. Andy McCabe, I mean, the, the investigation by the Mueller team is going to end next week. I've been telling you now for the last couple of weeks it's about to end because I, I have good sources here in D.C. and I knew that this was where this was heading. Those of you who listen to the show know this. So 
McCabe was asked if he thinks Trump is a Russian asset. Now, understand, an asset is somebody who is wittingly or unwittingly in the control of a foreign power. So the only way that Trump could be an asset of the Russian government is if the Russians were straight up saying, hey, this is Vlad Putin, do this thing because I said so, and he does it. Or if the Russians had put a senior person close to Trump or in Trump's orbit who would give Trump, you know, their orders and Trump would, you know, essentially a false flag situation. That would be an unwitting asset. Anyone who believes either one of those things about this president is an idiot, is an idiot. You know who believes it or at least wants to keep open the door to it? And I'm not going to say no. I do and I don't. I might and I might not. You know, this is where Andy McCabe is on this stuff. This is what he said when asked about this. Play clip four. Do you still believe the president could be a Russian asset? I think it's possible. I think that's why we started our investigation. And I'm really anxious to see where Director Mueller concludes that. It's possible, huh? No, it's not, you jerk. What a horrible thing to say, by the way. What an, a, a, a horrifically nasty, undermining, untrue smear. Make no mistake about it. This is the former acting director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation smearing the president with the insinuation that he is a traitor a traitor to the United States. This president, the president who loves America and is pro-America and says America first, and all he wants to do is, is create prosperity and implement policies that will benefit all Americans, even the Americans too stupid to know that the things that he's trying to do are good for them and are the right thing. That president is a traitor, maybe. You know, I mean, this would be like, this is like, you know, a journalist writing a story about somebody that's is so and so a pedophile question mark well i put a question mark there so i'm not i'm not saying this guy's a pedophile i'm just saying maybe he's a pedophile because there's a question mark disgusting unethical immoral these people should be shamed out of the public out of the public square these people should be treated with the ignominious disdain that they deserve Instead, the media wants to lionize them. The media wants to treat them like they are truth tellers. No, they're nuts. Normal people could not believe the things that McCabe and Vinograd and uh, Rangappa and these others at CNN and elsewhere that they think and go on TV and say. Normal people could not believe this. Only people who are dishonest or stupid. I, I don't have a third explanation. And I just want us all to remember this when the Mueller report drops and there is no collusion and they all, all these people that wanted to be in the public, the public eye, that want the attention on CNN, that want to do all this, they're going to scurry out of the light like cockroaches fleeing your flashlight in the basement. Oh, you know, no collusion. Oh, no, there's no collusion. And then they'll come right back out. Then, then the roaches will gather again, want to be right on, you know, right in the spotlight on CNN. Then they'll want to gather again. When it's time to talk about the Southern District of New York or time to, some other invest Trump's tax returns, you know, we're supposed to believe them on that. I'd ask you this. Why would the same media organizations and the same media analysts who were too dumb to figure out that Jussie Smollett was a hoax? Why do we think that they're better and more trustworthy 
and more unbiased on the issue of Russia collusion. Does anyone want to take a shot at that one? A much more complicated, a much higher stakes story. The answer is we shouldn't trust them on any of that. The answer is the media is never going to be the same, and that's a good thing. You know, in politics and every campaign I've been on since going back to 1982, you're told that your opponent did X, did Y, did Z, and he's a terrible guy, he did drugs, he's a criminal. And you have to vet this stuff because hardly ever is it true. But people make things up about people in politics. You would think the FBI would be immune from that at the top level. I think the FBI bought in on every worst scenario, worst case argument about Donald Trump, and they believe it the way a partisan believes and not the way a neutral fact-finding law enforcement officer should believe it. So I think they were driven by animus. And it shows up in their, t- in their tweets, I mean, in their, in their emails that were now disclosed. It shows up in their approach. For Andy McCabe to this day to say that he can't rule out that the president of the United States is a Russian asset, doesn't that tell you a lot about Andy McCabe's bad judgment? Ari Fleischer is absolutely correct, and and he's really selling me more on the uh, in me in my whole X Y axes of stupid versus dishonest. I think that increasingly some of these senior government figures and the reason they're so nasty about this and they've dug in so deep, the reason McCabe and Comey and others is they're actually not that smart. They did get fooled by some of this. Some of it was driven by animus and just their disdain for the president. Uh, But also they were fooled. I think I do. I do think that in the early stages, they believed that they were uncovering some international conspiracy between Trump and the Russians to essentially run this Manchurian candidate all the way up into the White House uh, on behalf of the Kremlin. I, I think that some of them kind of believe that, as insane as that is, which really just goes to they're not that smart. They're not that smart. I, I will tell you that in a lot of these government agencies, some of the, the cream does not rise to the top. Some of the worst people in them, in fact, the most sociopathic, the nastiest bureaucratic infighters, the ones who just play the internal politics the best and will throw their colleagues under the bus and will take credit that others are due. And all those are the people that often elevate themselves within a bureaucracy. Because excellence in a bureaucracy, I can tell you from having worked at the CIA, excellence is questionable. Excellence is suspect. You don't want to go beyond what is expected of you in any role because you're making the other people who just want to show up and do the minimum look bad. They don't like excellence. So the kind of people in that environment that rise are people like Andy McCabe. And they are very bitter the moment they're confronted with this reality. The the moment they're confronted with the prospect that much of what they believe about themselves, they may be frauds in a way. They're not the guardians of the republic that they pretend to be. They're just somebody showing up doing a job. And some of them don't do it nearly as ethically as they should. McCabe, for example, has fallen back on this uh, has fallen back on this storyline that the reason that there are inconsistencies, which is another way, another way of saying someone's lying between his version of events and Comey's version of events, 
is because, you know, they were just really stressed out. Play clip three. These comments about the 25th Amendment and about wearing a wire have been a little bit uh, distracting. But nevertheless, we were all operating under incredible stress. You know, you have to remember, Savannah, this came at an incredibly stressful time. To be fair, it was an unbelievably stressful time. I can't even describe for you how many things must have been coursing through the deputy attorney general's mind at that point. It is understandable. He was in under, an, under an enormous amount of stress at the time. The point is the, the stress and the complexity of the issues that we were discussing at the time. I can't describe to you accurately enough the pressure and the chaos. So you can see that in those conditions, those incredibly stressful times, it was incredibly turbulent, incredibly stressful, and it was clear to me that that stress was was impacting the Deputy Attorney General. Incredibly stressful. So much stress. Oh my, how could we handle... This guy's the, the head of the FBI when Comey gets fired. This is This is the best that he can do? I mean, he has the ability to ruin lives based on his discretion, and we're supposed to believe that he can't tell the truth? Or rather, in addition to that, we're supposed to believe that he got a little too worked up because of stress, so he thought about a coup against the President of the United States? Does he think that we're all imbeciles? Or is he just a phony, a fraud, and a loon? Stupid question. Yeah, that is a stupid question, because I think it's both. This is who we're supposed to believe. This is who we're supposed to think is just fine. And, and we're supposed to think we should have trusted all this time. Look at the people that have left and, and are, are going out there making this case against Trump. Do you have respect for any of them? Comey, McCabe, Strzok, Brennan... Clapper, have any of them acquitted themselves as men of honor, as as people of integrity? Do any of them look like they were nonpartisan actors in their jobs, that they were just about the mission first and about serving the president, whoever the president may be? They have not only disgraced themselves, I think they have done tremendous damage Comey, Brennan, Clapper, McCabe, the whole squad, they've done tremendous damage to the institutions that they once led. Now future presidents would be foolish not to consider the political affiliation of the people that are the senior most advisors and decision makers from these agencies. They'd be foolish not to think about that, especially if they're a conservative, they're a Republican, because they know that the deep staters are of the state. And that means they're going to be Democrat-leaning, if not Democrat, activists, if not hardcore lefties. This is very troubling for uh, the future of how these organizations will interact with uh, with White Houses. And, and I think that we should do it. We should really have a full accounting of this. And I'm hoping that there will be justice, but I'm not going to hold my breath. Abandoning the high-speed rail entirely means we will have wasted billions and billions of dollars with nothing but broken promises, partially fulfilled commitments, and lawsuits to show for it. With all due respect, 
I have no interest in sending back three and a half billion dollars of federal funding that was allocated to this project to President Donald Trump. So the high speed rail dream in California is is being abandoned. It's being abandoned because, as we mentioned earlier, I think this week, it is wildly over budget. It has dramatically underperformed. And it has run into all of the problems that you and I are quite aware come up when you're leaving things like this to the government. That in our current climate of environmentalist groups and activists and all kinds of regulation and just the the Democrat Party running California as as a subsidiary of the DNC. I mean, the Democrats own California. It's a a one-party state that when they're in charge of something like this, even something that they are really passionate about, they do a bad job. They can't get it done. They can't make the numbers work. And I know for a lot of you, are like, well, Buck, although we have a very, very robust audience out in California, what's up, Cali? Thank you for listening to the Buck Saxton Show. Uh, but this is... I think for anybody who's being honest, this has to be an indicator of what our expectations should be when the government takes on massive projects that would be much better handled by the private sector or by the market as free as we can make it. Right? The same people that will look at you now and say that we have a, a situation of um Healthcare that needs to be addressed by the government don't seem to understand, uh, don't seem to understand that the government more involved in healthcare is going to make it more expensive and more inefficient because the incentive structure, and this really goes also to the heart of the problem we have with the rise of socialism in this country, the incentive structure is just wrong. Government does not have the same interest in creating a high-speed rail as people that can do this and that will try to make a profit for themselves often. I'm not saying they have no incentive, right? The government's incentive is to do what it says it's going to do or else taxpayers get annoyed and maybe some people get voted out. But it's a very inexact, a very murky accountability situation. Whereas if you're the investor, if you're the one putting money in the line, you want to get this rail system built, you want to see, make sure that it functions properly, you know, the, obviously you have a, a more acute sense of what your incentives are, and that really matters. But California doesn't want to learn its lesson here. The rest of the country doesn't want to learn its lesson. They still like this myth that the government is effective and efficient and will do things better. I mean, the, the big lie about our healthcare system right now is that if we only gave more control to the government, we would get better healthcare and it would be uh, a more efficient system. And that even though people would have to pay a lot more in taxes, that's middle class folks. If you're listening to this and you make forty to $120,000 a year or thirty-five dollars to $120,000 a year, you're going to pay a lot more in taxes with the Medicare for All program. Just wait. But they'd say, oh, no, it'll be more effective. It'll be better. You'll save more on your health care costs than you'll pay out in taxes. Don't believe them. They're wrong. But unfortunately, they also never, ever learn their lesson. 
Bernie Sanders, speaking of socialism and government projects, Bernie Sanders, who right now is so cuddly, he just wants to go around and give everybody free stuff, free school, free college, free health care. It's going to be amazing. He's so New York, and yet he's so Vermont at the same time. It's very interesting. Uh, But Bernie Sanders, you may recall, because now we're being told, oh, he's a democratic socialist. He's not one of the scary socialists that puts too much control in government hands. He went to the Soviet Union in 1988. Not not Russia, folks. The Soviet Union. He made a trip there and came back to the U.S. effusive with his praise of the Soviet system. We're just talking about trains in California and the, the costs of the high-speed train, and it's been totally abandoned there. Guess what? Someone like Bernie Sanders is going to tell you, oh, if only the government was running transportation, the government was running that transportation, if only the government was running transportation like they do in the Soviet Union, things would be much better. This is a flashback. This is the burn back in 1988 when he returned stateside talking about Soviet transportation. Play 21. People here also were extremely impressed by their public transportation system. The stations themselves were absolutely beautiful. Uh, including many works of art, chandeliers that were beautiful. It was a very, very effective system. Also, I was impressed by the youth programs that they have, uh, their palaces of, of, of culture for, for the young people, a whole variety of, young, uh, of programs for young people, and cultural programs which go far beyond what we do in this country. Uh, we went to a, a, a theater in Yaroslavl, which was absolutely beautiful, had three separate stages where cultural programs are put on by professional actors and actresses, including a puppeteer uh, area. And the cost, the highest price of the ticket that you can get was the equivalent of $1.50. Bernie Sanders there, folks, in the, in the late 80s, almost at the fall of the wall, talking about how great the Soviet Union's transportation system is and cultural programs. He's effectively a Soviet propagandist here in the United States. That's what he was. That's what he's doing. So you can tell me that Bernie's philosophy has changed a lot and he's learned a lot since then. And that was a long time ago. But how many of you who were contemporaries of Bernie Sanders thought the Soviet Union was praiseworthy in so many ways and had great stuff that we should learn from? I'm going to guess the answer is zero. I remember during my time in the Middle East uh, on, on on a couple of occasions riding around in some Iraqi vehicles that were fr- that were essentially old Soviet vehicles that because you know the, the, the Soviets had sold them to Iraq and I mean these things they looked like a, a bumper car from the 80s but they were meant for military transport and and they went about as fast and worked about as well as a as a bumper car would have I mean it was just a complete joke what these things were like and the moment you start talking about consumer consumer products and vehicles and all of this, and, and you're going to tell me the Soviet Union had it better, I, I just, at what point is this not stupidity but malice? I, I, I leave that to you. And if that's not enough, Bernie Sanders, because he's so into the, the extreme equality of the Soviet Union, which, as we know, was actually deeply unequal. If you're a member of the Communist Party, you had access to different food, different health care, better housing, better everything than the rest of the population that was enslaved in misery. 
but but Bernie around that same that same speech that he gave there when he came back from visiting the Soviet Union in 1988, he went so far as to straight up praise. I'm not making this up. You'll hear him praise bread lines. You know, bread lines are very very equal, very egalitarian. Play 22. You know, it's funny. Sometimes American journalists talk about how bad a country is because people are lining up for food. That's a good thing. In other countries, people don't line up for food. The rich get the food and the poor starve to death. Now, that's obviously in the context of America and the West, a lie. In fact, if you're going to talk about starvation, you should probably talk about the mass famine in the Soviet Union in the 20th century, which was a a, a feature, not a bug, of Soviet policy. Starving people in Ukraine, starving the kulaks, who are this independent farmer class, the liquidation of the kulaks, done partly through starvation and partly through the excesses of the secret police. I wonder if Bernie Sanders even knows that history, which is not, not contested. This is not an opinion. This is all fact. I wonder if he knows. If you're going to talk about starvation, in the 20th century, you would have to look to China, to the Soviet Union, to communist states. He thinks that bread lines are, this was Bernie Sanders himself saying it. I don't care. This was a long time ago. Anybody over the age of, of 12 should know that bread lines are a disaster, are the result of economic disaster and deprivation. He thought that bread lines were something to be proud of. Bread lines were a good thing. Now, I understand that the argument is going to be that Bernie Sanders has learned a lot since then. But has he? Do we really think that Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez and others reject the, the root fallacies of collectivism and socialism as shown in the Soviet model? Or do they just think that they'll do it better? The same ideas are good from the Soviet Union, but we'll do a better version of that stuff here that redistribution here, that collectivism here. You know, Ocasio-Cortez made an absolute imbecile of herself uh, yesterday when she was applauding, cheering for the fact that they scared Amazon out of New York City, 25,000 jobs gone, all kinds of investment and, and productivity and commerce that would have gone on in the Long Island City area of Queens gone. She thinks this is to be praised. She thinks this is a, a cause for celebration. Why? Oh, because of, you know, fairness and stuff. What? Because corporations and exploitation, and we don't want that here in our city. Um, that strikes me as, again, wildly ignorant, but so ignorant and so stupid that I give her the benefit of the doubt and think that there must be a healthy dose of malice in her analysis. I hope that some of the socialists that we see right now on the scene in America don't really believe some of what they say and are merely speaking to the left as demagogues, right? The working definition we can always use of, demag uh, of demagoguery or of demagogues, I think this is from Mencken, is somebody who says things he knows to be untrue to a room full of people who he knows to be idiots. I hope the left is doing that on socialism. I'm not sure that they are. I think that there are true believers in their ranks now, and we have some of them on record, like Bernie Sanders, the most prominent of them on record, saying 
that bread lines show a more equal society than what we have in the West. That's troubling. It's not something we can ignore. It's not something that we should sweep under the rug. And we'll continue to follow this here on the show. We'll be right back. When I hear the name Tulsi Gabbard, I think of a Assad apologist. I think of someone who comes back to the United States and is spouting propaganda from Syria. You have said that the Syrian President Assad is not the enemy of the United States, yet he's used chemical weapons against his own people 300 times. That was a red line with President Obama. That's our, that is not our enemy. 13 million Syrians have been displaced. So when you say regime change is hurtful for the country, but gassing children isn't more hurtful, it's hard for me to understand where you come from a humanitarian standpoint if you were to become president. Uh, well, you're putting words in my mouth that I've never said. You did not say that Syrian President Assad is not the enemy of the United States. Say it now. Clarify. <laughs> the, the issue here is how can we help alleviate the suffering of people? Just really one moment. Is he an enemy of the United States? An enemy of the United States is someone who threatens our safety and our security. There is no disputing the fact that Bashar al-Assad in Syria is a brutal dictator. Very interesting here. That was Meghan McCain and Tulsi Gabbard. And I am sometimes accused of being too favorable to Tulsi for reasons that have nothing to do with politics. And I say, these are false. Reasons similar to why Jesse Kelly, my friend, who we should probably have on the show, producer Mike, to talk about this one. Jesse Kelly is unusually open-minded to a Kamala Harris presidency, not because of her politics. He just likes he just likes Kamala. And people have said this about me with Tulsi. I've been getting a little heat over at the Hill over this one, and I, I reject that notion. I think she's correct here. I think that Tulsi Gabbard, as much as she's a, a left-winger, and I, I'm sure we disagree on basically everything, uh, her breaking from the orthodoxy on the Assad regime from the left and from the right is is kind of refreshing. Yeah, is Assad terrible? Absolutely, Assad is terrible. Is Assad an enemy of the United States? Well, that 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 is a question that we have to ask uh, with a clarification, and I think her clarification is a necessary one. An enemy to me is somebody that is it is a threat to us. Is China an enemy of the United States? Certainly, over the long term, is the greatest threat we face. But would we say, is China our enemy? Uh, we would say that the Islamic State is our enemy. We would say that the Taliban is our enemy, although keep in mind, we are negotiating with them. We are sitting down from them and across from them and trying to get a deal. Is Vladimir Putin our enemy or is he an opposing opposing figure on the world stage? You know, it's not as simple as just declaring people to be enemies that we are not at war with, that we are not in a conflict with, and that, you know, we, we probably have to work with on certain issues. So I think that it's overly simplistic. I mean, I know that some of you are probably going to disagree with me, but the fact of the matter is that the Assad regime is what we are going to allow to stay in place as the ruler uh, or as the ruling body of, of Syria. There is no future that we can think of or that we are pushing for in which there is no Assad regime in Syria because what's going to take its place? And so if we sit down across from Assad and try to work out some kind of an agreement, are we then complicit in the horrific civil war that's happened there? You know, these these are complicated questions. And I think that, you know, uh, the, the exchange there where you had um, 
you had essentially a redo of the Mika Brzezinski trying to nail down Tulsi Gabbard on whether Assad is an enemy. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard met with the opposition in Syria, met with the Assad regime, and she said she was there with Dennis Kucinich, and she is now in all kinds of trouble on the left. They're calling her an Assad apologist. I've never heard her apologize for Assad. That's a different thing. You know, the left and the right in some areas have a little bit of crossover here with we don't want any more regime change wars. We don't need any more of this going in and trying to, you know, change this country or that country and putting U.S. troops in harm's way, sending our men and women over there to die to make their country, meaning the foreigner's country, better. It's not something we want to do anymore. Maybe it's time to break with some of this foreign policy echo chamber on Syria and elsewhere. Look, this is important stuff. When do you want to spot that burglar? When he's casing your home or after he's already gotten in? Well, you could ask John, whose blink camera alerted him to burglars trying to break in while he and his family were home. Or Shannon, whose blink camera caught a thief stealing packages. Both times, blink video clips were sent to police to help convict the crooks. Blink motion-activated indoor and outdoor cameras are wire-free, set up in minutes, and run on two AA batteries that last up to two years. And if you're traveling, Blink's live feed option lets you monitor your home and check in on pets from anywhere using the Blink smartphone app. No contracts, no subscriptions, totally affordable, and Blink works with Alexa. Blink camera systems make great gifts, and they're a brilliant way to monitor your package deliveries. Visit BlinkProtect.com. Dot com slash buck blinkprotect.com slash buck again blinkprotect.com slash buck blink is an amazon company protect those packages protect your home check it out socialism is not about justice it's not about equality it's not about lifting up the poor socialism is about one thing only Power for the ruling class. The ruling class. You wouldn't have thought maybe a few years ago that a Republican president and, in fact, much of the Republican intelligentsia, uh, or at least the Trump-supporting intelligentsia, would call out the ruling class. And that a guy who's a billionaire and obviously was born a essentially a hundred millionaire would have a voice that would resonate with people on this issue might come as a surprise. But when you dig into it more, it actually makes perfect sense. There very much is a ruling class in this country, uh, one that in the era of Trump, just because of the ability to get past political correctness, to get past all of this uh, forced respect for certain institutions, journalism among journalism, very high on the list, perhaps top of the list. And we're able to really evaluate who these people are that think that they should be in charge, in charge of media, newsrooms, the arts, the federal bureaucracy, the DOJ, the FBI, the CIA, the universities. You go down the line and you say, why do we have to revere these people? Should we revere these people? The answer is we shouldn't and we don't or we shouldn't have to and we don't have to. Um, and that's relatively new. And I, I do think that there's a whole democratization of information component of this. Essentially, because we see these people acting like idiots on social media, because I can point to tweets from John Brennan, who was the CIA director, that show that he's an imbecile without any judgment, 
without any credibility, especially when it comes to issues of politics that that deal with the Trump administration. Uh, I don't have to be told whether or not this is a guy that I should listen to and trust. I can see for myself that he's not somebody I should trust. He's a clown. And, you know, Victor Davis Hanson, who's one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite current um, living American columnists. I mean, he's definitely at the very top of the list. He's top 10 for sure, maybe even top five. Uh, Victor Davis Hanson is spot on with what we've seen, not just because of Trump's willingness to take it to the ruling class in this country, uh, but more specifically what we've seen from the ruling class in the government, the fourth branch of government that is the bureaucracy. And I, I think that it's never it's never going to be the same, which is a good thing. The truth has come out in ways now that are unavoidable, and it's caused a panic a panic that has manifested itself in all these different people, Strzok and McCabe and Comey and you know all, all the rest of them who hide behind this shield of, oh, you're, you're disrespecting our institutions. And no, we're questioning our institutions. And when we question some of these institutions, we find ourselves getting answers that are not reassuring, that do not make us feel better about the situation. And that just means that we should dig more that we should ask more questions and also i think do quite a bit of uh, as a nation reevaluating the value of some of these institutions and and how they are constructed and who's in charge and what they're doing here's here's vdh the man himself on this issue play nine what really gets us upset us being the american people we have these sanctimonious Boy Scout, self-righteous James Clapper, John Brennan, James Comey, Peter Strzok, Andrew McCabe, and they feel that somehow they've got a rationale or prerogative to be divinities, and they can tell people when a president should go and when he should come and when a, what yes. a court needs to know, what he doesn't, when they can leak confidential inf information, when they can 245 times tell under oath a House Intelligence Committee they don't know, and we can't do that. The, us the people but they've created a hierarchy or some type of cachet cadre in washington they're like a praetorian guard where they're where they're not subject to the limitations that we all enjoy as constitutional limitations on what you can do he's absolutely right you have seen with clapper brennan comey struck mccabe sally yates this whole crew at the very top of the government hierarchy and keep in mind not only do they have a lot of government power and the power to ruin people, the power to play in politics in a way that they're not supposed to, but is incredibly effective if they're willing to. They also will all take jobs in the private sector at their leisure where they will make millions of dollars, most likely. So they are elites in every sense, but they pose as protectors of the people. They pose as individuals who care not for themselves, but care only about you and me and what we have seen from this Praetorian class is that they're liars, that they're self-interested, that they're self-motivated. And we would be foolish to ignore this. It's also important to note that they are living under a different set of rules in their own minds. And this is problematic for a whole bunch of reasons. One of them is that if they can get away with things that you and I can't, how will we ever be able to reform 
the institutions of our government that go after citizens if the people that are making those decisions don't have to live by those laws themselves. Remember, one of my favorite maxims here on the show is that a true tyranny is not the equal application of draconian laws. It is the capricious application of laws based on political connections and favor and and the whims of the mob or the whims of the powerful. It is that McCabe can lie under oath and somehow not face criminal charges, but George Papadopoulos can lie about a non-crime to the special counsel and he faces prison time. That General Flynn could lie or perhaps misremember a conversation that he had with FBI, that was related to FBI agents and then face the ruination of his career, the destruction of his reputation, a reputation that involved 30 years of service in the military. So when people say, well, McCabe should get the benefit of the doubt, I say, hold on a second. I'm, I'm somebody that's all for the benefit of the doubt when warranted, but I need someone to tell me why Andy McCabe, fired from the FBI for being a liar, should be given that benefit because of his service in the government, especially given all the other stuff we've learned about him recently, that he thought that a coup against the president, against President Trump, was a an acceptable idea. But then why didn't General Flynn get that benefit? After his 30-some-odd years of government service, I want someone to answer that question for me. So the elites right now are unsettled, and they're not used to that. They don't like the truth coming out, and they're trying to prevent it, and it is incumbent upon all of us to continue to just look at what is reality here, what's really happening, and who these people are. Should they be in charge? Do they deserve to be in charge? Do we trust them? Should they have this power? We should keep asking those questions. Here's a story that you would think would get a lot of media attention. But sure enough, there is something of a muted reaction to it. President Trump, the Trump administration, has decided that they will launch a campaign, a global campaign, to end the criminalization of homosexuality. Now, at first glance, this should be one of those rare moments in contemporary American politics where all sides and both sides are cheering, you know, yelling huzzah, saying this is fantastic. This is as straightforward a campaign of of goodness and decency as I think you'll find anywhere. You know, put put aside for a moment any feelings you may have about uh, same-sex or gay marriage and just understand this is about decriminalizing homosexuality. So this is, you know, countries that exist uh, that are out there where you can still be punished, even executed for homosexual acts. Uh, That's barbaric and that's wrong. And the Trump administration is trying to lead the way on this. And the campaign is supposed to be led by the U.S. ambassador to Germany, Richard Grinnell. I know Richard a bit from, from working with him at Fox. And they're, they're kicking this event off, or rather kicking off this campaign in, in Berlin. And you would think that perhaps the LGBT community would rally behind the Trump administration on this. I mean, what could be more obviously 
on the side of the LGBT community than a global campaign to end the criminalization of homosexuality. Now, did you even hear about this in the press? I would I would first put that out there. Have you seen, given the media's interest usually in any LGBT stories, have you seen this covered? Have you seen it ta- heard it talked about? Um, I'm guessing a large percentage of you, even those of you who spend a lot of time reading the newspaper or online or watching the news, haven't seen or heard anything about this. And it's because, one, as we know, the press's desire to harm Trump or to undermine or even downplay any of his successes uh, outweighs their desire to let the Trump administration or support the Trump administration do good things that people will know about, right? So for most of the media, Trump and and the administration's efforts to decriminalize homosexuality in countries around the world, which should have a tremendous uh, effect of, of liberty and, and personal freedom on LGBT communities around the world, th- that desire is less important to the press than to make sure that people don't realize that Trump is in many ways the most LGBT-friendly president of all time. In fact, Trump is the only president in history who stood on stage during his campaign, held up a gay pride flag, and ran as somebody who was openly in favor of same-sex marriage. You know, He was fine with gay marriage, in favor of gay marriage. Obama was not, for everybody who likes to say, well, look at what the Obama administration did. Obama was pro-traditional marriage, largely, I think, as a as a political ploy to get black churches to support him, especially black churches in the South, to support him in, in his bid for the presidency. And then once he had secured enough support from, uh, for his second term, he was willing to say, OK, well, now we'll move on this. But back to this campaign, not only is the press a little muted in its enthusiasm about this, which I, I don't think is surprising to anybody, Uh, There's also an effort from the left, in fact, an effort from within the LGBT community to say that we that this should not be celebrated as at all. Uh, This is a piece in out.com, which is a uh, a a same sex focused publication, from what I understand. Um, And out.com has this piece up, Trump's plan to decriminalize homosexuality is an old racist tactic. Let me just read that headline to you again. This is in a left-wing gay online publication, and the title is, Trump's plan to decriminalize homosexuality is an old racist tactic. Wow. Let's unpack this for a moment, shall we? The, The left, which views itself as on the vanguard always of LGBT and and gay rights and transgender rights and all all these different uh, communities and subcommunities within the movement, uh, they all of a sudden have a problem with the president trying to do something that any sane, reasonable person would say is good for the LGBT community. And here's why. What are the most anti-gay portions of the globe where is homosexuality illegal well it's in africa the middle east 
and the Caribbean. Okay, that, if you're looking for areas of the globe where you're going to have a particular focus on this, that's where you're going to find yourself. That, that's where the issue is going to be. So now um, you have Africa, the Caribbean, and the Middle East, which are areas that are predominantly, not entirely, but predominantly non-white, are going to come under scrutiny here as part of this campaign. And what you're going to see on the left is also an aversion to this because the Muslim world, which is predominantly non-white, not entirely, but predominantly non-white, the Muslim world is the most anti-gay portion of the world. Okay, there, there's more anti, and, and Iran specifically is a viciously anti-gay country. Uh, the Iranian government's policies towards uh, homosexuals is that they can put them to death. So this is where the left starts to run into the usual incoherence. They're pro-LGBT rights, as long as it allows them to bash uh, Christian conservatives in America, then, they, then they're all about it. And they want to talk about transgender rights and transgenderism and all the rest of it. But the moment that you look at what's going on with the LGBT community and the rest of the world, all these other left-wing uh, constructs come into play, like colonialism, racism, uh, anti, you know, anti-Islam or Islamophobia, all of that is more important to the left than basic human rights and basic decency toward the gay community. Uh, and I, I just think that this should get a, a whole lot more attention uh, because what you're seeing here is that the, the left does view all of its issues as, as part of this hierarchy. There are no fundamental principles because if, 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 if treating uh, uh, people from the gay community from the LGBT community as as human beings with basic decency is not more important to the left than trying to protect the sensibilities of the Muslim world, the Middle East, the Caribbean, uh, portions of the globe that are majority non-white, then what are their fundamental principles? You know, what, what do they really espouse? If, if you're not able to join hands with this president on a movement to to push for the uh, removal of laws that stigmatize and, and 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 even murder gay people around the world because there are regressive backwards countries. I mean, let's just start to say what's really going on here. I'm sorry that Islam is, as was said by Sam Harris correctly, the mother load of bad ideas from a liberal's perspective on a global scale, but it is unfortunately a fact. That doesn't mean that all Muslims feel that way, obviously. It doesn't mean that, you know, everybody from within the Islamic faith is guilty of believing these things. Or, But if you're looking for one faith tradition that is particularly regressive when it comes to the LGBT community, among other things, it's Islam. So the Middle East is going to be a problem if you're trying to get rid of laws that criminalize homosexuality. This is just a fact. Also, portions of Africa are going to be a problem. You know, th there are some parts of the world where there are cultures that are more regressive and backwards than what we have here in the West or in a lot of other places around the world, not just the West. This is a fact. This is objective truth. So the left can, you know, cry and wail and, and criticize as much as they want. What the Trump administration is doing is a good thing. 
It is a kind thing. And if they were being principled on the left, they would understand that Trump pushing for the decriminalization globally of homosexuality is only a good thing for the LGBT community. And there should not be any excuses made to undermine this movement. Uh, Team, I know we're talking a moment ago about Trump's campaign to decriminalize homosexuality around the world uh, and and to encourage countries to have uh, LGBT protections as a matter of law and certainly to end discriminatory and, and vicious practices against the LGBT community. But transgenderism, the T in LGBT, uh, transgenderism is still very much at the forefront, uh, at, at the vanguard of left-wing activism. And I would just share with you, you know, I had a an exchange today publicly uh, that I'm, I just wanted to share um, because it was one of these moments where I was at, at kind of cross purposes. I have never heard of India more before, but India Moore is a uh, a transgender act actor, um, and and has you know a pretty substantial online following. And India Moore tweeted so India Moore is born a man and has become a and now under transgender logic has become a a woman, and uh, and and he tweeted out or she tweeted well. <sighs> It's a he, but you know I'm trying to be I'm trying to be considerate, right? But the India Moore is a man. It's a India Moore is a man. We we can go back and forth on this as much as the left wants to, but you know objective reality is just that. But I also want to be polite to somebody, and if somebody really wants a pronoun to be a certain way, do I do I bend out of deference and politeness? I mean, one of the knocks on me in this business, unfortunately, is that I am actually too polite, probably which I'm getting less polite as I get older because some people need a, need a, need a tune-up publicly sometimes. But, but anyway, back to India Moore. Uh, this individual tweeted out, if a, this is a quote, if a woman has a penis, her penis is a biological female penis. And I just have to note that this is the definition of false. This is as false as false gets. Right. Female anatomy is female anatomy. Male anatomy is male anatomy. There is no such thing as one of them becoming the other. But what I see here is an embrace of falsehood and the demand that we all embrace falsehood as well. Now, I responded to this. I have questions. And then uh, Ms. Moore or Mr. Moore whichever one we're going to. I would also note that I could get banned from Twitter for misgendering and misgendering. Some people want to be uh, some people in the Western world, I think in Canada now and among other places, they want it to be a crime. So now they want to bring the force of law to make me lie about somebody else in order to protect their feelings. That's that's where we have headed as a society. Uh, But India Moore responded to me, if you have questions, essentially, you know, I'm happy to answer them. And here's the thing. I don't have questions. Uh, A woman cannot have a a penis and a man uh, cannot have a woman's anatomy. I don't have questions. I have questions about why we're supposed to pretend that we don't know what we know. That's my question. That's really where the discussion is. I refuse to embrace the unreality of the transgender movement. And I mean, just to give you an idea of, of 
where this is going now, you had an LGBT organization announced that it was severing ties. This was just yesterday with Martina Navratilova because she made comments about transgender athletes. Uh, this group, Athlete Ally, which is a nonprofit to, quote, end rampant homophobia and transphobia in sport and to activate the athletic community to exercise their leadership to champion LGBTQ equality, said that they're no longer working with Martina Navratilova, who's one of the most famous same sex uh, athletes of all time, right? You know, same-sex, uh, uh, you know, g- gay athletes of all time. Um, same-sex attracted is what I meant to say. Uh, she She's now kicked off the island, so to speak. She is now no longer welcome in the group, no longer welcome as part of the team here because she said that it is cheating to allow transgender women to compete in women's sporting events because of their physical advantages. She, she, she wrote, quote, a man can decide to be female, take hormones if required by whatever sporting organization is concerned, win everything in sight, and perhaps earn a small fortune, and then, then reverse his, uh-oh, she said his, decision, and go back to making babies if he so desires. It's insane, and it's cheating. I would not be happy to compete against her. It would not be fair, Navratilova said. This is a world champion tennis player, and she's gay, and she's not allowed to say this. Folks, she's speaking the truth, all right? Biology is real, and biology wins on this one. Biology is fact. If I had been competing against women in college, I would have been a three-sport All-American. That's just a fact. And I was barely able to be on the crew team. So this is ridiculous, all right? Ridiculous. I will not, I will not be a part of this, uh, of this movement to embrace falsehood. You know, I want to be polite to people. I want to be decent. I want to treat people with respect always, right? It is an, it is an obligation on all of us. But I'm also not going to be forced to lie. And that's where we are heading with this transgender movement. Not even a choice anymore. We're going to be forced to lie. And we're going to have to make some very tough choices going forward. The show ain't over yet, folks. It's time for Roll Call. Indeed, it is a snowy Roll Call today. DC gets a light dusting of powder and thinks that some kind of snow apocalypse has descended on it. You'd think that our nation's capital would be a little more able to uh, handle some inclement weather, but if you thought that, you would be wrong, unfortunately. DC is very much uh, in the midst of the usual, oh my gosh, a half inch of snow panic, Uh, but I'm here safe and warm in the Freedom Hut where love of freedom keeps us safe and warm. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want your thoughts to be included in the roll call. So by all means, let me know what you think uh, by going to roll call and also by letting me load the Facebook page that I do live on air here and it always takes a second. Sorry, technology. Sean writes, hello, Buck. We should just start calling the fake news narrators and not journalists. Journalists report facts while narrators tell stories. Shields High fan since the real news days. Well, Sean, thank you so much for being old school squad. Good to have you in the mix here. And uh, thank you so much for 
writing to me. I appreciate it, my friend. And yes, I agree with you. The journalists need to do more in the fact side of things and less in the opinionating while pretending to give facts. Adam writes, in relation to you switching eye dominance, Mr. Cage has the perfect solution for you in the movie Firebirds, Shields High. Well, uh, Adam, I, I don't, I have not seen Firebirds, so I'll have to take your word for it. Um, Lucinda. Oh, Lucinda back in action here. Ha. Huh. I've seen killer clowns from outer space. I definitely would not compare it to the witch. However, because I watch killer clowns, I thoroughly check any toilet I use for aliens. Shields high. Well, Lucinda, that sounds truly horrifying, and I am not going to add killer clowns from outer space into my viewing uh, queue. So, yeah, I will tell you that the witch, I shouldn't have watched it. You know, Miss Molly was making fun of me a little bit. I shouldn't have watched it because... It, it really kind of freaked me out. And, you know, I maybe even had some nightmares about it. It's really creepy. I think it's the creepiest movie I've seen probably since The Exorcist, which I saw for the first time maybe 15 years ago. Rachel writes, Shields High Buck, my husband is the main breadwinner, giving me the privilege to stay at home with our kids and raise them the right way, according to the Bible. Your excellent, thoughtful analysis helps keep me sane during my day with the little ones, so thank you. But I wouldn't have heard about you if my husband Jesse hadn't told me about you. And it's his birthday tomorrow. He will listen to your show via podcast. So I was wondering if you could give him a birthday shout out. Thanks again for all the hard work you do. Have a fantastic show every time. Rachel from Cali. Well, Rachel, of course. First of all, thank you so much for listening. And a big birthday shout out to our main man, Jesse, who is obviously an original squad aficionado for spreading the news of the show, telling people, start spreading the news. Thank you, Jesse, for doing that. And uh, really, really appreciate it, my man. Happy birthday to you and yours and your absolutely beautiful family, which I can see here in Rachel's profile photo. John writes, I'm sorry to bother you, Buck. I Heart Radio doesn't have the February 19th show on your listing. Ah, John, very frustrating, man. We will look into this. I'm very, that, that, trust me, it annoys me more than anybody when I put all the work in to do this show to try to make the best show I can and we don't have it up. So we will look into that one right away. Um, Ethan writes, don't listen to Robert Buck. The analogies rock. Keep bringing them. Oh, well, Ethan, thanks, man. I'm, I'm glad to hear that at least some folks like the analogies, and uh, maybe we'll get a happy medium where I'll only use them when they're really, really good and really, really necessary. You know, that's one thing about taking feedback from my uh, my respected and beloved audience is sometimes people disagree very strongly on what they like and don't like in the show. One example of that is is the history show, not the history shows, but history segments within the show. I would get three or four people writing in at a time saying. I love that segment you did on just that that history deep dive. That was maybe a couple of segments, 15 or 20 minutes or so. And I would have somebody who's like, don't ever do that again. I come to you for daily news. I come to you for analysis of politics and what's going on in the world, not for what happened in the world a thousand years ago. So it's tough. You know, you got to try to gauge what the what the best usage of the time that we have together is, because I, I take it. Very seriously, I do feel a, a very important obligation to make the best use of every mo every moment that you give me. Uh, but thank you for your feedback, my friend. 
Aaron writes, I'm a little behind on your podcast. It's okay, Aaron. We can still be friends. But if you are enjoying punk, you should check out the Bastard Sons. They are a contemporary Southern punk band. My favorite song is Never Say Die. Also, I'm not sure if you can get into these classics, but bands like Dead Kennedys, Minority Threat, Bad Religion, Dead Milkmen, Operation Ivy, Bouncing Souls, and No FX. Whoa, that's a lot, Aaron. Also, some pretty good bands with female vocalists, Tsunami Bomb and Tilt. I could go on and on. You'll definitely be opposed to a lot of the political lyrics of these bands, but you should still check them out. Aaron, you are obviously an audiophile. You're somebody that really likes listening to tunes. And I would just say, in terms of the politics of bands, I I, I think everybody should take the, the perspective that you can appreciate the artist without agreeing with the artist, if you know what I mean. You know, you can you can feel okay. For Here's a perfect example for me. For Let me just put this one out there. I think that Rage Against the Machine, for my money, is for workout purposes in the gym, probably the greatest band of all time. For working out, not for listening to and, and just hanging out with, obviously. But I think that Rage Against the Machine has probably the best catalog for workout purposes of anybody out there. Now, people can disagree with me vehemently. That's fine. Obviously, Rage Against the Machine also has the politics of Ocasio-Cortez mixed with Maduro and Karl Marx and Bernie Sanders all at once, right? I mean, Rage Against the Machine's politics are silly, but I don't care about their politics because I listen for the music. So when you can find an artist who also shares your beliefs, great. Yeah, I think that's that gives them a leg up. But I do think it's okay to separate out the music from the person's uh, political beliefs singing it. You know, I don't think I would have seen eye to eye with Jimi Hendrix on all matters of politics, although we probably would have agreed on more stuff than some folks would realize. Uh, that's and I have no idea what Jimi Hendrix's politics were. That said, I mean, Jimmy is Jimmy and you got to love the music. Nolan writes, Buck, we no longer need to point to Venezuela to communicate the harm that socialism can cause. Amazon scrapping New York and the economic cost of that decision provides a snapshot of where these wannabe communists will take the entire country. We need to highlight that and other homegrown socialist disasters that do real, not theoretical, damage to real Americans. Well, Nolan, I I hope you appreciate that I try to do that on this show. I talked to you about Venezuela, but I also talked to you about Amazon. And I, I try to discuss the parts of the Venezuelan disaster that are applicable to what's going on here at home. It's not enough to just say that Venezuela is socialist. It's why has Venezuela's socialist experiment imploded? And what are the fair points of comparison between Venezuela and the U.S. and the American left and Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders? Uh, it's not just about the talking points. Obviously, the, the huge advantage that I have here with you on this platform is I can spend real time on things that really matter. I don't have to constantly just flip through really quickly with a three or four minute conversation that's meant to just be good TV and then run through the next topic. We can really dig deep. And I think that's why people keep coming back here now. Well, gosh, going on six, seven, seven years on the air on this show. So, man, time does fly. Uh, Joe writes... Buck Shieldsai, you often ask if liberals, Democrats are morons or liars. The answer, of course, is usually they are both. Whether it's the absurd lie of Jussie Smollett or the bald-faced lies of Andrew McCabe, the outlandishness of the lie displays their stupidity and the lie their moral 
vacuity. Well, Joe, nobody could ever say that you're mincing words. You, you obviously have no trouble owning the libs, as they say. Kayla writes, Ben Weingarten, Rahim, and Mike Opelka are my favorite fill-in hosts. Great job, Shields High. Well, Kayla, you have fantastic taste. Those are all very, very strong hosts in their own right, and they will all be repeat hosts here on the show, uh, and they're going to continue to join us. So I'm so glad that you you like it when they're in for me. You know, I, I really do want it to be the case that any day that I have to be away from this microphone which is almost always for some other business reason. Occasionally it's for vacation, although I don't take very much vacation. Any day I'm gone, I want you to know that when you tune in, you're going to get a great show. Uh, I don't want people to think, oh, Buck's not there. I, I'm not going to listen today because you're going to get a, a different version of the kind of topics that we talk about here, the sort of show we do here, obviously with a different host. So I want the best host possible. As I've said, I know a lot of other radio hosts like to put in the B team or the C team so that people miss them when they're gone. That's kind of an old radio radio joke, radio trope. Um, I want the best host we can get. So that's always my plan. And uh, Kayla, in the meantime, uh, thank you so much for writing in. Team, that's going to be it for this show. I will talk to you all tomorrow, same time, same place. Shields high. Global Verification Network, the only dual certified veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company out there. Now, I understand you, you got to get this work done when you're hiring for your company, no matter what size your company, no matter what industry you're in, you got to run background checks on your employees. But a lot of the people that run those background checks for you, guess what? They send that client information overseas. So you don't really know who's doing it, where that stuff is going. You can get rid of all that all that fuss with Global Verification Network, all right? Their risk mitigation experts handle everything here stateside. They're based in the U.S., and their servers are here in the U.S., and this is a veteran-owned and operated company. So check it out for yourself. Call 877-695-1179. Again, 877-695-1179, or go to mygvn.com, Global Verification Network, Leave no stone unturned.